something outside. What is that? Monster X Radio, everybody. This is Gunnar Monson. I'm one of your hosts of Monster X, and I am also the owner of the Sasquatch Coffee Company, Monster X sponsor. Uh, Sasquatch Coffee, have you tried it yet? Go to SquatchCoffee.com and check it out. And if you go in our, our uh, Facebook group right now, you can find a, uh, an offer for uh, get your first bag of Sasquatch Coffee for 50% off. And that won't be, that's a limited time offer. So get in there and get it if you want it for the holiday. You've been waiting to try it out. Now's the time. With me today, co-hosting is my good friend, Julie Wrench. Julie, how are you? Hey, Gunner, I'm doing good. Good. Doing we, pretty, go ahead. No, I'm just doing pretty good for kind of a chilly Sunday night over here in the East Coast. Yeah, though we're having things have started to cool down on the West Coast as well. Um, this weekend was the Sasquatch Summit up in Ocean Shores, Washington. I know that uh, our our friend Shane Corson uh, did a presentation up there for the Olympic project. Um, I've heard uh, good things about the the summit and uh, some things that were not so good. I, there was a lot of woo uh, this year, which uh, seems to be something that. Uh, is becoming more prevalent, and I don't think we could have a better guest to discuss uh, wooology and and sweeping the woo out the door than than our guest tonight, Stephen Stroyper. <laughs> St- Stephen is the owner of Bigfoot Books down in Willow Creek. If you ever saw the movie Bob um, Gold Cat, excuse me, um, had the Willow Creek movie, and Stephen was in that. And he also runs the Coalition for Critical Thinking in Bigfoot Research group on Facebook, which mm-hmm. is, seems like a novel concept, although it should, should not be. Stephen, welcome to Monster X. Yeah, hi. Hey, Stephen, welcome. Yeah, well, it's a woo world, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephen, tell us a little bit about, for those folks that, that don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself and now. You came to be um, start this group, the coalition. Oh well, I, you know, I moved to Willow Creek and I found myself in the middle of this Bigfoot thing. And before I knew it, I was surrounded by maniacs, you know, <laughs> who were uh, coming in here and telling me they wanted to find the, the Patterson Gimlin film site because they wanted to go up there and mind speak with Patty the Bigfoot. Uh, so. You know, I, I basically had to do it as a sort of defensive measure just to to put a wall around uh, the the concept of Bigfoot, you know, and to try to keep it, it as rational, um, to some degree at least, you know. Um, but they're really persistent. They, they outnumber us uh, quite significantly now these days when uh, they get their uh, newbies coming into their fold off the television shows like ancient aliens or whatever, uh, pretty much every week there's, there's a whole flood of, of them coming. What, and why do you think, I, I mean, I've seen this shift in the last, I don't know, five or six years where, where we had, you know, for lack of better, we had flesh and blooders and, um, and then there were some people that, that were espousing some, some, alternative views, let's put it that way, that attributing um, this unknown and unproven uh, creature with, with uh, magical powers and, and mm-hmm. you know, anything from uh, mind speak to, 
being inter traveling interdimensionally to piloting UFO. I mean, every kind of <laughs> wild uh, ass theory um, has been now being put forward. Some folks are doing it with a little bit more reserve and, you know, I, I've heard Tom Powell talk and Tom is, is I, to me, he's one of like the grandfathers of Woo. And I can have an intelligent conversation with Tom and, and same with Ron Moorhead. But a lot of these people are just, it's a, it's a really an emotional uh, thing for them to, that, you know, this yeah, is well, their. That's right. That they, yeah. that they want to pursue those interests. Uh, whether it's like, you know, aliens on another dimensional level or underground dwelling Bigfoot creatures or, you know, people coming through portals uh, with, you know, Tesla devices and, and Bigfoot's floating around in orb form going into trees. You're right. That uh, one's killing I, me there. The the tree Bigfoot thing, I just... Uh, <laughs> You're killing I don't small. even know how that has to do with the concept of Bigfoot. As I uh, remember it when I was growing up as a kid in the 70s. You didn't really hear too much about this wackadoodle stuff. No. It was just a question of whether there was an animal of that sort. Uh, and if people had an argument, it was usually whether it was an ape or uh, some form of hominin or human uh, primate. And mm-hmm. that was the big argument until finally the people who, who were advocating this forest people friends position started right. not only saying that they were human, um, like Homo sapiens hirsuti or uh, Homo sapiens cognathus, you know, like these people have named them. Uh, you know, they started also saying that they were from uh, another dimensional level, you know, vibrating too quickly for us to see, um, you know, being able to cloak and uh, so forth and so on. You know, these are things that no biological creature that we know of can do. Uh, right. How does, how does the At least that vibrate? we know of. You know? <laughs> it's like a rubber band. It's like, I mean, it's, it's, they're mixing these new age metaphysical spiritual ideas with the pursuit of a so-called cryptid animal uh, and they're really transforming it into a, a religion you know which has no objective verification or correlative at all it's just nope. whatever occurs in Matthew Johnson's mind you know um, people look to him and they get that, their answer from whatever he's experiencing in his own imagination uh, that to me is not science, and it's not. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with Bigfoot. What Bigfoot is to me, which is a question, you know, uh, a big question, but it's it's not that kind of question, <laughs> you know. And you're you're saying I, the question is, are they? Or is there is there really a, a biological entity that that uh, walks around on two legs that is that has been. Has as to yet has not been proven to the to the general sure. public. You know, it, the question remains: Are they, except for those people who claim to be knowers? Uh, but um, even they ought to question themselves because what is it exactly that you're knowing? You know, if some voice is speaking in your mind, I would say you should take a step back and 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 try to question that a little bit mm-hmm. uh, because there's well-known tendencies in the human psychological makeup that create these kinds of delusions. Right. Uh, Absolutely. And, and you know, it, it, it's better to start with the metho- methodological question to, um, and logic, you know, just to say, um, well, uh, if it's real, what is it and where is it? And let's find it and let's study it. Um, not this weird attitude of, uh, I don't have to prove anything to anybody because uh, I know what I saw, or I know what spoke in my mind, or I know what came in my dreams last night. I mean, that's the yeah. uh, book that I, uh, a group that I saw on Facebook. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Bigfoot Dream Crime Studies, <laughs> where you know people are are contacting Bigfoot in their dreams. Wow. Uh, you know, like this woo-woo stuff. It goes back farther than Tom Powell and and Matthew Johnson and the the latest crop of these uh, uh, people, you know, uh, that idea of being in your dreams and studying what's happening there was uh, a big part of um, Autumn Williams' mother's book, 
mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, the Valley of the Skookum. And uh, half of the book, I and mean, she told me it, it was in her dreams. That was her inner process. You know, it wasn't something that she expected you to take literally as an objective happening. But uh, she also correlated this with the same, in the same, same time period uh, where they had Bigfoot activity uh, apparently around their house. So, you know, you have one thing where you hear footsteps outside or you find some tracks or something, and it doesn't necessarily make sense to correlate that with your dreams, you know, because a I mean, person I, can dream anything that they come up with, you know, and it be, it's, it's, it's hyper real if you're aware of your dreams. Uh, these things are are as real as reality if you're awake and looking at it in your dream. <laughs> so... Um, I, I would say be advised that the human mind is, is, is a strange device for interpreting reality. And we have to be aware of how that functions first, you know, before we just start going off into the fifth dimension with spiritual Bigfoot teacher, right? Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. because well, the, the fact is that Sasquatch has never been proven to exist, period, to begin with. So to far-fetch it and go, well... Not only does it exist, but it can mind speak, jump through portals, fly UFOs, and uh, communicate through glyphs on the ground. That's just as unscientific as you can get. Yeah, and it would help if you could actually document these things happening. I mean, it's not just flying in UFOs. It's these simple things like stick structures. And like you said, the the glyphs that people find on the ground... Uh, out of all the random patterns of sticks and things that fall on the ground, you're bound to see patterns uh, in them. Mm-hmm. And uh, these patterns may be similar to human uh, alphabet forms, you know, or <laughs> shapes and uh, figures of geometry or symbolism. And it's a natural thing for the human mind to leap to uh, interpretations of these things. Um, right, and, and if and you... We've talked yeah. about this before with pareidolia, you know, right, you had a exactly. evolutionary development which favored uh, the perception of things that weren't there because if you heard a rustle in the brush, it might be a lion. So it helped us to survive if we thought it was a monster and we ran away, you know, um, to stand there like a scientist or whatever and, and document it, 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 it is sometimes going to get you killed uh, mm. by that lion. And then that person won't, uh, you know, spread their genes down through uh, history. <laughs> so, um, despite which isn't always a bad thing. Well, <laughs> oh, is a good thing, uh, and sometimes it favors the dumb. You know, <laughs> uh, science is kind of an unnatural thing uh, to think mm. logically and rationally. Is a learned activity uh, that that we have to practice and and perfect, you know, um, you can't really speak without using logic because language itself is logical. And if you want to observe reality, one of the first and primary problems that people have is the the subjective bias, you know, and this is what science was designed to do to overcome that that cognitive uh, problem where we see what we want to see and interpret things based upon our beliefs. you want to get that out of the picture, and then you can look at it and ask yourself seriously: Does Bigfoot exist? <laughs> you know, um, even if you've seen one, you might ask yourself: Does Bigfoot exist? Did I really see that? I think that I think that actually is fairly common for people that have um, what they believe to have been sightings. I mean, that they they question a lot of. I've talked to a lot of quote unquote eyewitnesses who have wonder: Is that what I saw? You know, yeah. If you had no, you had no context of uh, Bigfoot before, and you have this experience where you see something that fits a Bigfoot description, it, it, it's got to be kind of a, a paradigm shift. Is like, whoa, what that that isn't real, you know? But uh, yeah, but and, I mean, and, I, I've had paradigm shifts shifts many times <laughs> in my life, you know, based upon mm-hmm. the weirdest things. Uh, like some of them happened at Grateful Dead shows back in the 80s, you know? <laughs> <laughs> How might, there might yeah, be some I, explanation I, I once for that. saw a UFO come down over the, over the outdoor stadium and hover 
over the band as they communicated with it. It was just like Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, that was at a Grateful Dead show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but I, I would just like to say that it, it doesn't make you crazy if you if you feel like you've seen a Bigfoot. It, it's more like a, a method to reserve conclusions till later when you have all the evidence in, you know. If you feel like you've seen something, well, that's a, a good inspiration to explore further uh, and to find out what it might be that you saw. And um, I think, you know, to assure uh, freedom from bias, it's always good to have the open uh, agnostic position <laughs> where, where you know, you could be proven wrong at any moment and accept that and say, oh, shoot, well, that, you know, that, that, that wasn't what I thought it was. Right. Right. And they so might not be approaching right, things with, could be with confirmation bias. You know. Yeah. Yes, but I mean, I've seen this, like I said so many times uh, before, when people come to Bluff Creek with us or out here to Willow Creek and they go out in the mountains, they're reporting Bigfoot activity all weekend long or whatever. And for me, I live here. I'm out in the woods all the time. There's woods and mountains and rivers all around me, even here on the highway in my store. You know, there are Bigfoot sightings across the street and across the other direction right here, you know, within a quarter mile of the highway. But, you know, um, well, yeah, I mean, why, why is it, Stephen, that you can't walk out your back door and run into a family of Bigfooties? Yeah, well, it happened one night where I, I had something weird happen in my yard. And uh, the, it sounded like a bipedal creature coming down the hill, sort of losing its balance. And there were these vibrating footfalls, you know. But um, I still can't say now whether that was a Bigfoot because mm. I didn't see it. You know, and I saw where it landed in the brush and there was a depression in the plants. And, uh, you know, there 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 were what seemed to be footprints in the grasses going away from that until it hit hard dirt. But uh, beyond that, I mean, um, despite having Matt Moneymaker or Bobo or Cliff say, that was a squatch, you know, come on, that right. was a squatch. That had to have been because nothing else could be walking through the woods making a lot of noise. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it hard to imagine that it was a bear. I've had plenty of bears in my yard, and plenty of uh, branches falling and trees falling down. And and uh, also I've had weird hippie pot growers walking around out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this thing was big, you know. I, 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 I You know, when deer bound away, they, they vibrate the ground too. But this was bigger than that. It was um, definitely something odd. But I can't assume that's Bigfoot, and I'm not going to, you know, even though I would love to. It was Bigfoot. <laughs> It was Bigfoot. Yeah, <laughs> no, but the, the thing is, is that's, a, that's a pragmatic and and logical yeah. way to approach it. And is that you you had something weird happen? You didn't see what what did it? Um, could it have been Bigfoot? Possibly, but what? And it it goes into the weird, you know, unexplained uh, file, but. There's way yeah, too much confirmation bias with stuff. And people, mm-hmm. I think, like you're talking about, people go out in the woods with the idea that, they're, that there's Bigfoot in Bluff Creek, and, and they're going out to have that experience. And in their mind, they're going to have it. So if anything that they hear, anything that they, they see, they, they, have a, you know, they know what they're looking for, and they're going to find it. Um, yeah, and, believe and quite it's, often it's not. And we know it's not that. You know, exactly. I mean, we in the, the Buff Creek gang, the Buff Creek Project, uh, we know that area pretty damn well. And, you know, when we hear these sounds and see these depressions in the ground and all the other things they claim, uh, broken trees, and I mean, we know why they, they're there. You know, they're, these are things that are very familiar to us. Like, even these broken trees, you know, these people claiming they saw them along the road going up to the film site. Well, we, we you know, like, they have a, a, a lawnmower-like truck, this tractor thing that has a big brush cutter that holds out on the side, and it 
trims brush as they cruise along really slowly, cutting those trees off. <laughs> it's not Bigfoot. But, you know, we got up there for years. And, you know, between uh, all of us, we are up there constantly, not always right. as a group. Um, but see, if they don't know that, live, then they're going to – they're looking for signs of a, a eight-foot bipedal creature. And confirmation bias is going to you know, perhaps kick in, and they're going to say, wow, look at the, all those trees shoved over and broke over. That's – Amazing. Yeah. But there's there there's a and there there's a, a line. I'm not going to say it's a fine line. There's a a hard line between seeing something that could be you could interpret it might be Bigfoot evidence, and then making a definitive statement about something that this is Bigfoot evidence. I Bigfoot did right. this. Bigfoot made the bent these trees over. Bigfoot, you know, broke this branch. Bigfoot stepped there because I see something that I want. And I, and that to me, one of the things that that uh, we people talk about belief, you know, people believe in Bigfoot, and that's it. Bigfoot either is or isn't. Bigfoot doesn't care if you believe, and belief doesn't factor into it. People that have that's had, true. you know, uh, there's folks that have had um, encounters. They've had sightings, and they, you know, uh, the. It's hard. How do you explain things like, like our co-host Shane Corson, who who definitely knows what he saw, or Derek mm-hmm. Randall's, who definitely knows what they saw, and you know, and and Derek and Shane have uh, a vast amount of of outdoor experience, and they know, you know, they know what it wasn't, and mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you address that? Yeah, well, that 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 is what we used to call a credible witness. You know, right. back in the days when we were. Like, you know, before I got involved, people like John Green and Renee Hinden were documenting these uh, witness accounts. And they, they went all across the country doing this, um, trying to find credible witnesses, you know, and uh, ruling out things that were kind of loopy and loony, like uh, John Eric Beckchard's claims that Bigfoot could, uh, you know, go into another dimension or through a portal. I mean, that's really where a lot of this all started mm-hmm. was, was him, you know, back in the 70s mostly. Uh, th- that, those are the things that were considered not credible. But, but now and you they hear got all these out. people complaining. They right. complain about the BFRO database because they're selective in what they publish, you know. Um, but, you know, I, as a member of the BFRO, I don't know if I still am, <laughs> but I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, at one time, I, I used to go in there and look at their database, the, the secret private one, and really there's not much more in there that's, like, super intriguing. Um, you know, they try to find the people like Derek or Shane or Russ Mock or, or anybody who may have seen Bigfoot and are still capable of describing things objectively. Right. You know, not Not the people who are sitting in the Bigfoot motel in Willow Creek and hear a howl up on the hill. You know, it's like, you know, for one, that that's not even worth investigating because they're right across the street from a bar. People are howling there all the time. You know? And there's kids that have a party up on the hill sometimes. And, right. I mean, no reason to think this is a Bigfoot. And I would say the same thing about people who claim that something happened in their dreams or, uh, you know, people who can't seem to substantiate it at all with objective uh, basis. And those people who can say objectively, like, where they were and what they saw, what it did, describing some kind of shape, morphology, behavior, you know, um, that is what we are really interested in, I think, you know, primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess you could say that there is a lot of mystery to the universe. Like we have thoroughly documented whales and dolphins, right? But um, maybe the the woos who are in that area are right. Maybe there there is something mystical and mysterious and hyper intelligent about these animals. But you still don't hear stories about whales like zapping people and levitating them and, you know, bringing them through a portal or talking to them in their minds. 
like if you if you hear that, that's someone I think you'd normally say might have some kind of mental problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you know a guy like, uh, well, I would like to think me or you, you know, uh, Derek or or Shane or anybody who just happens to see one, and those are the most interesting um, accounts, especially if they're not Bigfoot researchers at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hear a lot of those. They're just people. Uh, driving on the highway who saw something very mm-hmm. odd and crossed the road. And it, it doesn't, you know, necessarily stand out as something totally weird. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, it wasn't a bear. Okay. You know, it was some kind of animal, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and if they start telling me that they they had a UFO hovering above it, I'm likely right. to think it probably didn't happen. Probably. Now, speaking of um, mysteries of the universe, um, let's delve into the whole, because this is the 50th year anniversary, as many know, of the Patterson-Gimlin film that was recorded out at Bluff Creek in October of 1967. Now, there's a lot of things about that um, event that some people may not even be aware of, and I think it's only fair to throw everything out there that um, that we you know can verify happened um, or allegedly said happened. L- let's start with the the costume or the creature, however you want to look at it itself. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Philip Morris. He just passed back in September. And he has a costume shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. And according to him, back in 1967, he received a phone call from Roger Patterson asking for a gorilla suit. And Philip asked him, what do you want it for? And he was like, well, we're just, you know, we're going to play a prank. So he bought he bought it. It was four hundred twenty five dollars plus shipping. He received it a couple of weeks later. He, this is what he says. Roger called him back and said, "How can I make this costume look more real?" And so uh, Philip told him to get arm extensions, shoulder pads, how to brush the hair over the zippers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he never heard another thing from from Roger. Then, several months later, he saw on TV that Roger Patterson had recorded a Sasquatch creature at Bluff Creek. And he says he chose not to say anything um, because, he, you know, he he sold magic stuff and, and different things to do with magic and um, circuses, costumes. So he says he, he didn't want to say anything, you know, because of the magician's code. Yeah, you're not supposed <laughs> so, to rat out your you? colleague. But I would have thought that, that would have been really good for business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, it, it would have brought him some fame, but I guess that later in life he felt like he wanted some more attention, you know, just like uh, Bob Geronimus, <laughs> you know these things could have been uh, talked about back in the 60s or 70s, but instead they wait till the 2000s to do it um, for no good reason. You know, uh, I think in the interest of truth, if they really cared about the truth and if there really was a costume, they they should have just come out with it uh, decades ago. But, I mean, instead what they did is they made a deal with a television per- company, you know, and they made a costume that he claims was very similar to the one that he sold to Patterson and uh, put the adaptations that he claimed Patterson learned from him onto it. And then they reenacted it and it didn't look anything like the Patterson film. I mean, not even roughly speaking uh, because, you know, the Patterson film has many details of shape and movement that uh, that costume just didn't embody. Uh, Even with, you know, uh, Molding under the the fur uh, suit, you you would have to have a pretty complicated setup um, to show muscle shapes like the Patterson film does. Whereas you know the the one that you see in the Bob Hieronymus Philip Morris 
recreation. It's just a baggy lump. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, beyond that, uh, you know, Philip Morris can't actually document when this happened. He has no evidence for it. You know, there's no receipts or anything. It's just his word that he called Roger Patterson. Well, that's the same level of, of, of evidence that we have for, uh, like, Bob Gimlin telling his story, you know. The only thing is that Bob Gimlin's uh, account accords with reality on the ground. When you go to Bluff Creek, you can see things he's described all these years, you know, and you can you can time out the, the, the time that it took to drive to Willow Creek getting out of there and, and everything else, uh, and it, it's actually credible. Whereas Bob Hieronymus can't even describe anything off the highway more than five miles and the Patterson film site would have been 25 miles to get to uh, in a, a, a car that was driving on rough dirt roads, which I doubt he would have forgotten. Yeah, so, so Bob Hieronymus's story is questionable. And uh, the, during that whole book, uh, The Making of Bigfoot, Hieronymus describes a, a certain kind of suit that is very different from what the Philip Morris uh, account talks about. You know, it's, it's made out of horse hide and it's got um, waist high knee, uh, waiter boots and uh, a helmet of some kind and shoulder pads. And uh, Philip Morris's suit is completely different. You know, it's a one piece rather than a two piece. And it has, uh, you know, it has a, a, a baggy fur. You know, that's about all it is. It's just a baggy fur costume that you can put over a man who can act like a gorilla. Um, you know, I, 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 I find it hard to believe that these are the same suits because, you know, the Philip Morris suit's not made out of horse hide. It, it wouldn't stink like horse hide. But all these things that Bob Hieronymus described right. don't... Oh, so they actually uh, conflicted each other. Yeah, they did. So and Greg Long put it all in his book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole book talks about one story, and then like he discovered it right before publication or something. The last chapter is about Philip Morris. And all of a sudden, you're trying to finish the book, and he's describing a completely different suit. Um, you know, and um, beyond that, all of that, you know, uh, Roger Patterson is known to have been making a, a docudrama film up in Yakima that year earlier. So, uh, also in Greg Long's book, he's talking, I think, as early as 63 uh, to camera shop guys about how to make a Bigfoot uh, film or get good film or photos of it, at least. Uh, So, you think he's trying to make a movie, right? (laughs) Um, Naturally, if you're going to make a Bigfoot movie, you're going to order a suit, uh, and he may indeed have done so sometime between uh, 63 and 67. And that may be what uh, what Philip Morris is describing. And it also might be the fact that Bob Hieronymus may have tried it on in Yakima. But we have no evidence of it being present in Bluff Creek. <laughs> and, you know, I think Bob Hieronymus' failure to describe anything accurately and the appearance of the film compared to the Philip Morris suits um, makes this hoax theory rather weak. You know, a, a poor effort to debunk the film, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I it's never been disproven and it's never been proven. Whatever is in that film, everybody has argued about it, still arguing about it, debating about Years it. Years later, right. Yeah, and... Uh, I mean, it's uh, to me the, the thing I always do is like when somebody tells me they had an encounter. My first question is, did it look like the subject in the Patty film? Because if that's a true quote unquote Sasquatch, then wouldn't it be logical to assume that other creatures like it would have the same type of qualities? All right, so I've had some people say, yeah, that looked exactly like it, except for it had black hair. Then I had other people say, no, no, it wasn't like that at all. It had long brown hair. You know, so, again, you go back to if that is a true subject, then there are different types of that subject, yes? 
Well, if you look at the other animals like bears, for instance, their color variation is a pretty common thing. Um, we still get people reporting grizzly bears around here. Uh, and, you know, what they they say is, well, it wasn't black, you know. <laughs> like grizzlies uh, are one color, and, you know, black bears have several different colors, some of which look like grizzly coloration. Uh, and I, there's no reason to assume that Bigfoot wouldn't have that too. But I think it goes a little bit too far when you start having these guys like um, – Kunbo and Bear and these other people uh, who are claiming there's four or five or whatever number of different types of Bigfoot running around, you know, undocumented. Uh, right. Some of them with three toes or some of them that run around quadrupedally all the time, you know. Uh, no, why would you say so, that, Stephen? Huh? We, we, we know. We, we know how many there are, and we know where they are at and what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Will Jevening said so. <laughs> because, yeah, because you know? anybody said so. Yeah, that's Because yeah, you that's... heard it on Sasquatch Chronicles once, you know, suddenly it becomes true. Uh, and, and this is one of the big problems when you're dealing with these things in what we call the paranormal, uh, is that, you know, science and objective thought become abandoned. And instead, the human imagination enters in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the study of possibilities, which are fine. You know, there there are many weird possibilities that we're, we have yet to discover and verify out there, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, to to make a rational progress with knowledge, you have to proceed one step at a time, you know, from the known things via documented evidence, you know, and falsifiability and verification and peer review and so forth and so on until you have a legitimate type specimen, you can actually say what this thing is. Um, And if there's a lack of that, then it just has to remain in the unknown category. Uh, Well, let me ask you this, Stephen. Um, Now, when the the film was uh, brought back into... To town, and they, you know, went and told everybody in the Senate that they had a recreation made. If, from what I understand, they had a recreation made, not somebody in a suit or anything, but they had somebody that they knew exactly the the height and the weight of the person and diet, you know, dimensions of the person's shoulder and etc. Walk past the same area. Did they not do that? Yeah. Uh, and and what was the findings of that? As soon as they could. After the snow melted and the roads opened in uh, June 1968, um, and they went back to the film site, which was known uh, in part because McLaren had been there in November of the previous year, right after the film was shot. Uh, so they went up there, and McLaren partly remembered where the trackway was, but also they claimed they could see tracks, depressions that were still in the sand, you know, but. Um, there's a complicated issue in doing things like that. First off, uh, you know, we don't know exactly where that trackway was. And from the clips of the film that I've been able to view, it doesn't look like McLaren is actually walking in the same trackway. You know, he starts farther back and he angles towards frame 352 where he kind of crosses Patty's path and then he sort of angles forward more. So uh, they're they're walking in an X-like pattern. You know, Patty, the film subject, whatever it is, is walking slightly to the northeast, you know, at that point. And the McLaren is walking slightly to the southeast. So he appears at some point bigger than Patty and at some point smaller than her. Or, or it, you know, if it's a man in a suit. But also, John Green's camera position is debatable. Uh, as we learned when we took Bill Munz up to the film site a few years back, uh, the, the the camera position and the camera lens are questionable. So it, it may have been a 15-millimeter lens instead of a 25-millimeter lens. Uh, and according to Munz, you know, Green was pretty close to where Patterson was Standing, but it's still enough distance to make 
those comparisons not exact, you know. So you could basically say, from what you see in the film, it looks like the Bigfoot is about the same size as Jim McLaren, who was what six foot three or four. Uh, so, with a a Bigfoot costume with a helmet and whatever uh, padded feet, uh, you could say, well, that thing, uh, Bob Hieronymus, could have been in that and would have been just about the same height. Uh, so it's inconclusive. It's 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 still within a margin of error that's not exact enough to really ascertain much of anything. Yeah, and the whole thing with the reenactment, that would take a lot of um, – that would be like almost an immediate thing that would need to be done. It would need – there would be a lot of work involved in that to, to go right immediately and – reenact the exact same pathway the exact you know what i mean it's like you know that that's a lot one thing i hear people talk about is well why didn't they go back and reenact it well they did but it was later on and there were different um you know stipulations involved in in that that we still don't know like you said the the lens the exact camera position so i mean every time you open one can of worms you open up three can of worms yeah, and, you know, that's the thing with this film is you can make arguments on both sides that seem to either prove that it couldn't be a human or uh, prove that it was a man in a suit. But all of these tend to fall short of a conclusion, you know. All of them have little points of, of uh, shortcoming, you know, that uh, make their, their claims inexact or uh, insufficient. And that's that's why I think the film really exists uh, in a in a in a middle ground of ambiguity. You know, uh, it, it it is why that film is so intriguing after 50 years. You know, you could still look at it and say, well, what the heck? You know, is that? You know, sometimes it looks really real when you're when you're staring at that thing. And you know, I would love to see the original film if it still exists and see whatever real quality we could actually view in that. Uh, we're we're watching mostly real garbage. You know, whenever you see it on YouTube or even in a lot of the documentaries, they're using low-quality copies. Uh, so, well, wasn't the original, uh, actual original film, quote-unquote, lost? Uh, well, so, it, so it's believed... But you know, it was it was seen in uh, 1980 supposedly uh, after the American National Enterprises uh, Film Company went bankrupt. Their assets, which included stuff from Patterson, um, because he was friends with Ron Olson, who was the head of that company or um, operating head, uh, and uh, they they got all these films, and some of them may have been the original films. Uh, that Patterson had loaned to or sold the rights to uh, his friend Ron Olson. Um, Ron Olson was involved in one of his research groups that he he founded, so uh, he may have considered him a, a trustworthy partner. But you know, by that time Roger Patterson was dead or dying. I can't remember what year they went out of business, but uh, I think it was after Patterson was already gone. And, and then this film was all taken to some warehouse in Florida and eventually ended up in a film archive in Los Angeles where Renee DeHinden and this guy, uh, Bruce Bonney, uh, found it. And they made these Cibachrome, uh enlargement prints from it. Uh, they got several, you know, what is it, 10 or so, very high-quality uh, prints from it. But um, then after that, the film disappeared. So uh, my own suspicion is that Renee DeHinden, who was fighting lawsuits left and right to to get rights to the film, probably took it, you know, and just never returned it. Uh, You know, if you're holding the Holy Grail, uh, why would you take it back to the library, right? Uh, That's (laughs) probably what happens. Um, So basically, it sounds, I mean, we're we're left with, I mean, 50 years later, it we look at it and and best case scenario we got a best case scenario that it for bigfooters that it's uh a biological unknown animal that got caught 
completely, <clears throat> basically by accident. I mean, they, they were out looking, but this, they didn't expect this to happen on that day. And, uh, or, or it's a hoax. I mean, that's, that's basically, and, and if it's a hoax, it's, it's a well-perpetrated hoax. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an intriguing one. Uh, right. I can't think of anything in the realm of the, the unknown or whatever we call it that really holds as much water as this film does, you know? So even if it is a hoax to me, that is deeply fascinating. Huh. Uh, right. Right. You know, when we first found went up there and verified it and everything uh, after it had been kind of lost for decades, uh, it was just really a, a mysterious, powerful feeling like, wow, I'm standing right here where that happened. Um, could it be real? You know, <laughs> that, that whole in search of feeling that you remember from your childhood, uh, just like when we took Bobcat Goldthwait up there, he wandered around almost like in a dream state. He was so enthralled to be living this childhood dream that, you know, you could actually go there and be on this spot. But, you know, uh, I, I think when you take a few steps back from that, you can start asking questions again and, and question your own fascination and question your willingness to just buy the story um, and, you know, the more you question these things, the more questions arise. And it becomes more and more and more complicated. <laughs> and, and when you try to find solid facts, they're just not there. They're not solid. Uh, you have stories that people told. You have a film that wasn't taken seriously. So, you know, you didn't have a, a, a troop of professional um, zoologists rushing out there or anthropologists. You had amateurs who did their best, you know. But, um, I mean, John, John Green was a journalist and, uh, you know, Renee DeHinden was a professional uh, Bigfoot hunter. You know? And uh, uh, Jim McLaren was a college student. So he, this isn't exactly, like, documented as it should have been. Right. And over the years, a lot of tales have been twisted in, in, into the uh, account, and the uh, hard data is pretty scarce, you know. Well, I I know that um, Bill Munns, he I I read his book, and I also watched his, um, you know, the when he went to Roger's wife's house and was um, he recorded himself when he was analyzing the copy of the film. He came up with some very interesting results. Um, what are your thoughts on his, what yeah. he well, like? I, like I said, you know, we, we actually worked with Bill Munns, and I respect him a lot. He's very smart and capable. Um, you know, he, he was on site, and he could recreate the trackway of the film subject almost step by step from the film you know, because he had analyzed it frame by frame and he was able to calculate, um, you know, the distances accurately. And um, we know just by comparing the film to the site as it is now from the surveys we've done that uh, that trackway is, is accurate uh, within like a, a foot or two either way. And uh, so I can trust Bill Munns to a, a high degree in his analysis, but I don't think he's come to absolute conclusions. You know, he still puzzles himself over whether it was a 15 millimeter lens or a 25 or some other. Right. And and that's lens. the one thing that I know that has always um, still been unanswered. And I'm not sure how much of a difference because I'm, I'm certainly no photographer, nor am I, um, video professional from the the 60s but i mean how much of a difference what would it make between those two different lenses a lot mm -hmm. yeah he, he, bill munn said if it were a 25 millimeter lens you would be on the other side of the creek up against the canyon wall uh in the frame of 352 and we know from the location and what we've been able to verify about it 
that Patterson started on one side of the creek and he ran across it up the bank and onto the sandbar, you know, some three feet high at that point, and now is about you know, eight or nine feet at various points, higher than the, the creek water level. So Patterson did all these things, and we can see the remaining uh, log piles and stumps that are, are still there. Uh, so that pile of wood that you see in the film, it's still there, but, you know, it's obviously it's rotting away. Um, but those things can be seen, and therefore we know. Uh, I don't know why Bill Munns can't just conclude that it was a 15-millimeter lens, but, uh, you know, we've, we he asked us to do measurements, so we went back up there, and we're, we're pulling this measuring line and trying as best we could to get accurate readings, right? Um, but uh, sorry, something just happened with my phone. You guys still there? Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. Okay. I see what happened. Somehow Windows restarted my computer. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, so so we measured these these things as exactly as we could, you know. But you can't get an exact read on the very core center of the tree, right? And some of these things we were using were trees, so we had to eyeball it and estimate, well, it's got to be half the radius of, you know, the whole thing. Or, yeah, It's got to be the half of the diameter, diameter of the thing. And yet it was off by a few inches, obviously, just because we didn't cut the tree down, you know. We're not going to cut down an old-growth fir tree like that big one you see in the film. So uh, when we got the measurements back to Bill Munns, he couldn't do a photogrammetry recreation of it. it it's, there's too much margin of error. Um, even a few inches skews your results so that you can't say with exactitude whether it's a seven-foot-four-tall creature or a six-foot-something creature, you know. Hmm. Uh, a lot of the studies Bill Munns did, I mean, they're impressive, you know, when he got that grant, and a lot of that is in his book, the When Roger Met Patty. Uh, they're, I think they're impressive efforts, but they're inconclusive to me. Um, you know, showing that a, a butt flesh can bounce or boobs can bounce uh, with human subjects or trying to recreate a costume that's based on Bob Hieronymus's 40-year-old memories, uh, and obviously making a bad costume from that, uh, and then trying to show that that couldn't be uh, the film subject, it, it's just insufficient, because, you know, that film subject, uh, it could be a different kind of costume, it could be a different kind of helmet that makes it look differently from what Bill Munns is assuming it would, you know, so, so he's made a, an argument that kind of suggests it could be real. But to me, uh, you know, without exact numbers and exact data, it's impossible to say that is certain. Well, yeah, and if we, you know, according to most people who have seen these um, creatures and they've seen the adult creatures, they're usually seven feet, eight feet, up to nine feet tall on the average. So if there was a way that the creature could be proven to be a minimum of seven feet for sure up to nine feet, I think it would be a better argument towards it not being a hoax than it being a hoax. And that's just my opinion. Well, yeah, and these opinions uh, have been the core argument to support the the film for so many years. But they, they really don't work because... If you could say that uh, intermembral index, you know, is different from humans, well, of course it would be if you had uh, shoulder pads and arm extension, like a glove or a hand or something. You, even adding just a few inches on the top and bottom of the arm, you would have a, an a extraordinarily different looking uh, subject than a normal human. So with some padding around that arm, uh, you know, you still have an elbow that flexes in the middle. So you don't need to have this massive exaggerated difference. It, it's subtle differences 
that make it look like it couldn't be human. But if you take an anatomical uh, model in a computer, you know, an accurate human model, and you drop that on top of the Patterson subject, it is exactly uh, possible to fit it into that frame. You know, it, it is it is the same shape as a human. Uh, it's bulkier and bigger looking, but it it's not out of the possibility that it could be a, a costume. You know, and uh, the believers are always going to argue and argue that this is beyond the human capacity or it could never have been done. But uh, obviously it could be done uh, because look at all the other things that humans have done. You know, that we built pyramids and the Acropolis and we sent people to the moon. Um, so why couldn't we make a costume? Um, well, yeah, and, and that's the whole thing with this, um, you know, 50 years later and we're, you know, there, there was the big um, 50-year anniversary get-together uh, last month. And, you know, it, it just shows you that, and Mr. Gimlin was there, it just shows you how important this piece of of uh, evidence, if you will, is to the people who are, are believers um, because, by God, you can't tell them it's not real. Yeah, to the extent that they're going to have wars over an 86-year-old man, you know, and who gets to control his public appearances and stuff. Yeah, and I mean, it just it shows you how, I mean, there was a lot of people there and, and people from all over the place and um, there is still a lot, a lot of interest in that that film and whatever it is that's in that film, and it it's too bad there wasn't a way to absolutely verify it. Yeah, well, you know, um, it's too far away. It's too the quality is not quite there. We don't have the original, and we didn't have scientists or, or film professionals on site early enough to really do that. Uh, so we have an intriguing film that makes it uh, more interesting to consider whether Bigfoot exists, you know. Um, it doesn't just go away. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's a cultural icon, you know. Well, yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. It, it has a life much bigger than just, like, whether it's a real creature, you know. It's an archetype that exists in people's minds. So when they think about Bigfoot, it's always doing that thing where it's swinging its arms and it's looking back over its right. shoulder. Uh, this is a living thing that is in our 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 dreams or our culture, uh, in our movies. It's it's in advertising and it's uh, mm-hmm. corporate logos and um, this just what it is to us. And Bigfoot is alive in that sense, you know. Well, we um, people of my age, we grew up with it you know, um, in search of and, and different shows. And, and that particular film is what got a lot of us interested in, in finding out, well, what is that thing? Is it real? Could these things exist? And on and on and on. So, you know, it, it definitely intrigued me. And then I saw The Legend of Boggy, Boggy Creek and, the, you know, mind blown. So um, we're getting on about two minutes here. Um, Gunner, did you want to? You know, Steve, I, I do want to. Uh, first of all, I had the pleasure of actually visiting the the film site with Mr. Stroyford as well as Jamie, and uh, a couple years ago, two, three, four years ago now. Jesus, time's flying by. So mm-hmm. I, um, <laughs> it, I, I appreciate that, and uh, Steve, and I appreciate you coming on and, and chatting with us today, and uh, uh, the work that the Pluff Creek Project does down yeah. there. They did find the 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 film site. Believe it or not, it was actually lost to the nobody knew where it was, and these guys put in a lot of time to to uh, rediscover it, which was important. And we'll talk about that again in in, in another show. But absolutely, uh, uh, I, for uh, Julie Wrench and our MIA, uh, Mr. Shane Corson, <laughs> we want to thank you, Mr. Mr. Stroyford, for joining us today. And uh, everybody, yeah, thanks. thanks for listening. And we will be back next week with another episode of 
Monster X Radio. Thanks, everybody. Radio.